Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from Converge Church, now in progress. All righty, good morning, Converge. Are you, are you glad you're in the house this morning? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're super excited that you are here. If you're a first-time guest with us, we'd like to say thank you so much for being a part of our worship experience this morning. Uh, listen, we, we, we're a church where we love to give honor to whom honor is due. And uh, man, give it up one more time for our amazing worship team here at Converge Church. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, we could have stayed right there, Rick, Yessie. And I think we're going to do a little bit more of that at the end. Uh, we're honored uh, that we have Rick and Yessie on team. Uh, they've only been on board with us for uh, a few months now, but they have been uh, uh very impactful in the short time that they've been with us. So Rick, Yessie, thank you guys so much uh, for leading us in worship this morning. Before I dive into the message, just want to acknowledge uh, quickly uh, some very special people who are here with us, and that is, uh, I believe, the Hartmans. The Hartmans are here, and, uh, and also the Montgomerys are here for the first time. Is that right? Is that the Montgomerys right there? Fantastic, fantastic. We're not going to ask you to stand or make a speech. We just want to say thank you so much for being with us again this morning. We're honored that you are here. All right, we're about to dive into the word together. Anybody else ready for the word this morning? All righty, let's pray, and uh, we'll look to God's word for instruction. Father, we come to you in the strong name of Jesus, that name that is above every other name, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we turn to your word this morning, we thank you, Lord, for speaking to us as only you can. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. We trust you to do it now. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Well, we're, we're kicking off a brand new series of messages this morning, but let me qualify what that means. We've been in a series called Miracles. Uh, this is sort of volume two of where we've been in the Miracles series. So in a lot of ways, it's a continuation of the thoughts uh, we've been communicating over the last several weeks with a slightly different spin. I like to think of it as Miracles Volume 2 fall into favor. Amen? Over the next several weeks, we're going to examine, we're going to study what the favor of God really is and how to experience and appropriate the favor of God in our lives personally. Amen? Fall into favor. And so, well, Pastor, what does that mean and how are you connecting this to what we've already talked about in the miracle series? Here it is. We told you three things that we want to understand the plan, we want to follow the pattern, and we want to receive the promise. We want to understand that God has a plan for each of our lives individually and then also collectively or corporately. We want to follow the pattern of God, and we taught about that and talked about that extensively in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Here's the good news this morning. As we start this series, Fall Into Favor, what we are doing is we want to do the third thing and learn what it looks like to receive the promise. To receive the promise. Uh, I don't know about you, but there are some people who have difficulty just simply receiving. They struggle receiving a compliment. Oh, this ugly thing, I got it at Walmart. And when someone says, you look beautiful, oh, Mm -hmm. We struggle to receive because we have been conditioned to believe that receiving is performance-based. 
that if we don't perform to earn a compliment or we don't perform to earn a favor, then we don't deserve it. Can I flip that thought process and that paradigm on its head? Because as we examine the favor of God, you will discover that the favor of God is not something that we have to earn or struggle for or fight for. It's something that is freely bestowed upon us by a loving and generous Heavenly Father. Ah, I can see some of us already struggling with it. This morning, God wants you and I to simply receive what he's already provided. And that's why Jesus declared when he hung on the cross, it is finished. You don't have to do another thing to find favor with God because I went to the cross so that you would be reconciled to God and so that you would not have to do another thing in your life to earn the favor of God because he loves you, because he Loves you. Can I just say that? One more time. Because he loves you. Whether you think you deserve it or not, he loves you. And may I submit to you this morning, Converge Church, that experiencing and walking in the favor of God has very little to do with you and me and everything to do with the heart of God. And if you, can, you and I can settle once and for all that he is a good, good father, that he is a loving father, it will settle this struggle that we have receiving his love. Right now, there are some struggling to simply accept the fact that you are loved, that you are the beloved of God, the apple of his eye, that your name is inscribed, the scripture says in Isaiah, tattooed on the palm of his hand. You're like that wallet picture that you pull out of your pocket and you show everybody that picture. This is my family. That's how crazy in love God is with you. And because of that, he extends and he bestows favor, a disposition of kindness towards you. God wants us to simply receive what he's already promised. And that's why this series is called Fall into Favor. And just in case you were wondering that, well, this may, may, may be just pastor's, Pastor Ray's opinion. He might be in a really good mood and he wanted to think of a creative message to preach. And it's fall, so he came up with this fall into favor. Actually, Rick helped me with that, very creative mind. But it goes beyond just creativity. It is, in fact, the word of God. So our anchor text, text for this series is actually lifted from Luke chapter number 4, verses 18 and 19. Let me give you a little bit of context to what's happening in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And for the purpose of this series, we're going to read from the amplified translation, the amplified rendering of these verses. Let me give you a little bit of backstory. Jesus has walked the earth for 30 years as a nondescript carpenter's son. In fact, Jesus by trade would have also been a carpenter or more accurately translated a builder. The word is tecton. So he wasn't just a 
carpenter, he was more of a general contractor, tecton. Uh, this was traditional or it was cultural that if your father was a tanner or a, a, a fisherman, that you would apprentice with your parent and you took over the family business. Jesus was the son of Joseph, the surrogate son of Joseph, and Joseph was a tecton, a builder, and Jesus for the first 30 years of his life, was also a builder. We know very little beyond that. Uh, many Bible commentators call it the silent years. We see Jesus born. We see him again at 12 years old in the temple, reasoning with the scribes and the Pharisees. We do know, according to Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. So we see him at, at birth. We see him at 12 years old. And the next time the scripture picks up in this sort of biography or autobiography of Jesus is when he's 30 years old, when he comes to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now, after he's baptized, the scripture says that Jesus, this is Luke chapter 4, being full of the Holy Spirit was led, come on somebody, into the wilderness to be tempted. Woo, pump the brakes. You mean this wasn't an accident that Jesus, Jesus just wandered into the wilderness and then the devil showed up? No. Jesus was smack dab in the middle of the will of God. He was full of the Holy Spirit and leading, being led by the Holy Spirit and yielding to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says to be tempted. Whew. You know why that's important this morning, Converge? It's important this morning because a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Before I drive that car, I want to make sure that somewhere along the line, somewhere in the process, that car passed some tests. That somebody in QA, quality assurance, gave it the thumbs up. And how many of you realize this morning that sometimes God does that with our faith? And so as Jesus, or even before Jesus begins his earthly ministry, before Jesus goes public, he is first tested in private. Because what you perfect in private, you become proficient at in public. Jesus said what you and I do in secret, God will reward openly. So before Jesus even goes public, he is tested privately. Mm -hmm. so that what we preach is not just empty words. We have walked in places with God and we have wrestled with God, not in moments of convenience, but in moments of crisis. And God did it with his own son. So if you find yourself in a wilderness, in a dry place, and you find yourself being tested, you could be, you could be, Smack dab in the middle of the will of God. But it doesn't end there, Damon, because the scripture says in chapter 4 that Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit, was tempted 40 days. And notice what the scripture says. He came out of the wilderness, here it is, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say, better, faster stronger. Some of y'all not old enough to recognize that. 
But that's straight out of the $6 million man. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we, have the, we have the power to build him, right? I forget what the line is. Steve Austin, a man barely alive. Come on, somebody. If you're a child of the 70s, you know what I'm talking about. The bionic man. The $6 million man. Astronaut. Major accident, and they rebuilt him. Anyway, I digress. No, you're going to come out of this. Listen to me. You're going to come out of this converged church. Whatever you're walking through, I want you to hear this. Better, faster, stronger. Because you're going to come out of this in the power. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Equipped, empowered, and enabled to win in life. That's what the favor of God does. Are y'all with me? Some of y'all are like, man, I don't want Jesus to love me that much. <laughs> love me so much to put me through a test and a trial and the wilderness? Nah, I'm good, Jesus. But it's all a part of the process of God. So Luke chapter 4 verse 18 picks up after Jesus has come out of the wilderness. First thing he goes is he goes into the temple, into the house of God. And when Jesus goes into the temple, he's handed this scroll. And the scroll that he's handed is actually what we refer to now as Isaiah 61. But he's handed this scroll and he turns to this passage recorded in Isaiah 61, but also in Luke chapter 4. And what Jesus is doing as he reads the text prophetically is announcing his mission statement. Jesus is announcing his red hot why. And I think all of us in this room at some point in our walk with God, in our journey with God, must discover our red hot why. This is often attributed to Martin Luther, but it's a quote that simply goes like this, the two most important days of your life, the day you were born, and the day you discover why. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, is announcing to the world his why. And notice what he reads from Isaiah, also recorded in Luke chapter 4. And this is from the Amplified Translation. Verse 18 declares, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. Let's just stop right there. Jesus understood why he came. He understood who he was and why he came. And everybody in this room, at some point in your life, ought to be able to say with assurance, without hesitation or reservation, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. If you can't say that with confidence and authority, you've got some discovering to do. Everybody in this room ought to be able to fill in that blank that God has anointed me. God has appointed me. God has assigned me. God has guided me, directed me, created me because everybody in this room ought to be able to declare their red hot why. And so that's what Jesus is doing. 
He's announcing to the multitudes. After he has been tested 40 days, he's declaring his red hot why. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. I love that word. He has anointed me. Uh, the word to anoint means to rub. It means to smear. It means to paint. What Jesus is saying is the spirit of God has anointed me. I've been anointed. It's the rubbed on, painted on, smeared on ability of God. You know what that means? Whatever God has called you to do, he hasn't left you to do in your own strength or your own ability. That you have divine ability, the rubbed on, painted on, smeared on ability of God. You are anointed. You are anointed for this assignment. If you ever doubted for a moment whether you were good enough, let this be an announcement and a declaration to you. You are. Because of whose you are. You are anointed. The rubbed on, painted on, smeared on ability of God. That means you're cloaked with divine ability. That's why before a prophet ever stepped into his office or a king or a priest, they were first anointed. They took a horn of oil, a ram's horn, filled it with oil, poured it all, all from the crown of their head down to the soles of their feet. They were immersed in oil and it was symbolic of the overwhelming power of God. So Jesus says, I'm anointed. And he says, I'm anointed to do these things. Here it is. Here's the list. I'm anointed to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to announce, come on, release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To send forth as delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, who are bruised, who are crushed and broken down by calamity. May I suggest to you that when Jesus was saying this, he had you and me in mind? Listen to me. He did it all for you. And not only that, he commissions us to go and do the same. Listen to me, no matter what your red hot why is, if you're walking this thing out the way Jesus intended you to walk it out, at some point in your red hot why, you're going to be preaching the gospel to somebody. You're going to be announcing release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Somewhere in your mission and your assignment, you're going to send forth as delivered those who are healed, and you're going to minister to the downtrodden, bruised, crushed, and those broken down by calamity. Don't get it twisted. Everywhere the soles of your feet have stepped has become your mission field. It's about so much more than the paycheck. It's about so much more than your retirement. It's about so much inside of your red hot why, whether you're a radio announcer, a professional athlete, a CEO, is all these things. The opportunity to reach and minister to broken people. Whether it's in the marketplace or the public square or from this pulpit. That's your red hot why. And God has anointed you to do it. Here's verse 19 and this is where I'm going to land. 
Uh, just in case you were wondering, everything I've said up until now is just the introduction. Come on to my sermon. All the first-time guests are like, is he serious? All of those regulars turn to them and say, he's serious. Come on, somebody. All right, so here it is, verse 19. This is where I want us to land. Because in verse 19, he kind of puts the book ends on his mission, and he says, I have come to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord. The day when salvation, listen to me, the day when salvation, and what? The free favors of God profusely abound. I came to declare the day of salvation. And this era, this dispensation, listen, when the free favors of God profusely abound. Now when the scripture says the day, it's not talking about a 24-hour day. It's not talking about a chronological day. It is speaking of a dispensation. That God moved us from the dispensation of the law into a dispensation of grace. When his free favors, listen to me, profusely abound toward us. That's what you and I are living in right now. How many of you have been on a really, really, really good vacation that was all-inclusive? Come on, somebody. All-inclusive. That's what Jesus is talking about. Most of us think that salvation simply means you pray the prayer of salvation, and you cross the line of faith, and you go to heaven. There are two words used in the Greek in the New Testament that describe what salvation is. And the words are all inclusive. It's not just about a man or a woman coming into a faith uh, 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 um, conversion experience with Jesus that secures their eternity. It goes beyond that to quality of life while you're here right now. And you're quiet on me. There's two words. One is the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O, for all my note takers. And the second word is soteria, S-O-T-E-R-I-A. Let me tell you what those words mean. Before I even say that, these are the words of, of God in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. This is what God said. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. You know what God was saying? God was saying, what you don't know is hurting you. Because you're at the resort. You're at your vacation getaway. And you don't realize that what you paid for includes so much more than just room. It includes the room. It includes every meal you'll eat while you're there. It includes access to the swimming pool, to the gym, and everything else. Most of us have just settled for the fact that we got a room at the resort and that we can go out to the beach. And most people go through life like that family that doesn't realize they paid for an all-inclusive resort and they settled only for the room. Most people just want to live and get to heaven. When God says there's so much more included in this idea of salvation 
that you've left on the table. It is a package deal. It is all-inclusive. It's like a first-class flight. And all you want to do is just get on the plane and get to your destination. When you can tell that stewardess, I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want that, and they're going to bring it to you. And because of a lack of knowledge of what salvation includes, we're missing out. So let me, let me go a step further. Uh, let me define these words. Soteria is the word deliverance. So God delivers us from the kingdom of darkness. It includes the idea of preservation, that God will preserve you in times of conflict, in times of famine, in times of crisis. You can stand on the promise of God and realize that when I got born again, this thing was a package deal. That God's promise is that he will deliver me, but he will also preserve and protect me. Not only that, it carries the idea of safety. And not only that, it carries the idea of divine health and healing. That is the promise that belongs to you and me in our covenant with God. Sozo is like it. Sozo means to save or to rescue. I love this one. It also means to make whole. And that's what that word, that, that Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is translated peace. But in the Hebrew mind, this is what it means. Whenever someone who understands shalom declares the word shalom, you know what it means? It means nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing broken. That's, what's, that's what belongs to you and me in our covenant with God. Hmm? Let's go a step further. It means to rescue from danger or destruction, and it also means to deliver and protect. So when the scripture says Jesus came to declare the year of salvation, that's what he was talking about. He was saying that all of this belongs to you in Christ. And he wants us to begin to walk in it. But not only that, he goes a step further. And he talks about this dispensation when the free favors of God profusely abound. Ah, How can I say this? Just the other day, right, I was at Walmart, I think. Or I was at a grocery store somewhere. Long line. Long line. At the back of the line. Hmm? All of a sudden, cashier steps behind her cashier, turns on her light. While everybody else is distracted and not paying attention. Your pastor is at the end of the line. Hmm? This cashier turns on her register, waves at me, and signals to me. Moves me from the back of the line to the front of the line. You know what that is? That is the favor of God. Let me tell you what the favor of God looks like. The favor of God says, it may not be your turn, but it's your time. I'm talking about when God says, mm, when the world says, bruh, it ain't your turn. Wait your turn. And God says, it ain't your turn. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Confirm that word. When God says, 
Everybody said, wait your turn. Stand in line. And God declares, the last shall be the first. Because the favor of God has the ability to move you from the back of the line to the front of the line. When God declares over you and your family, it may not be your turn. But I said, it's your time. It's the favor of God. And just in case you think I'm making it up, we're going to look at a quick story. In fact, for, 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 for our purposes tonight, I mean this morning, quick definition of what favor is. Favor is simply defined as a divine. That speaks of the origin. It means God's in it. God's not just in it, but God is the originator of what is about to unfold in your life. It originates in the heart of God. A divine, here's the second word, assigned. Assigned, meaning favor has a way of locating you. So that's the way we're talking about. Look no further than Psalm 23. Because the Hebrew word for favor is hesed. It's C-H-E-S-E-D. Hesed. It means loving kindness. And so when the psalmist said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, he's talking about the favor of God. That's what your life, that's what your life and my life looks like. It is an assigned advantage. It is an assigned advantage. Goodness, the goodness and the mercy of God follows me. Not just every now and then. Every single day of my life. What's missing is our awareness of what is already available to us. The goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. You, you and I simply have to begin to walk in a greater awareness of what is already available to us. Listen to me. It's not just divine. It's not just assigned, but it is an advantage. The favor of God will give you an edge. That's why Malcolm Gladwell says, success is the result of accumulated advantages. Success, I'll say it again, is the result of accumulated advantages. The way you win in life, the way you win in relationships, the way you win in the marketplace and the public square is you have to accumulate advantages that give you the edge over everybody else. There was a time in the marketplace when having a four-year degree was enough. May I submit to you? It ain't enough no more. The accumulated advantage for many people is to have a master's degree. And even for some of those people, it is not even enough. Listen to me. The difference between the horse that wins the race and the horse that comes in second is just a split second. That is an accumulated advantage. And listen to me. The favor of God will do that in your life. It is a divine, listen to me, a side advantage. And God says, you and I are living in a season when the free favors of God profusely abound toward us. That means your assigned advantage is available to you if you'll simply receive the promise. <laughs> Man, I have walked into places before and I've asked myself, what am I even doing here? 
I, I want to tell some stories, but we'll be here until after the Cowboys lose again today. So I'll just move on. Uh, I said Cowboys. I meant to say Falcons, but. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Here we go. This is why I'm going to close. All right. Because if what I'm saying is true, if what I'm saying is true, then there's an opportunity here for us to discover what the favor of God looks like in a very tangible and very practical way. What time is it? That's it? 10.58? Ooh, I really like this church. I love this church. Uh, turn on me, because this is where we're going to wrap it up, right? Let's, turn, let's, let's, let's look at what this favor of God, this divine assigned advantage for success look like, right? When, when God says, baby, ain't your turn, but it's, it, it's your time. What does it look like when God moves me from the back of the line to the front of the line? Simply because he decided, this is yours. Listen to me. I want to help you this morning to simply receive what belongs to you freely. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to perform for it. Listen, this kind of love, <laughs> I'll tell you why, why we wrestle with it, because this kind of love is foreign, because we know how we are. Our love is performance-based. Our love for each other is conditional. So when we hear this, all, this idea that there's a God who loves me without condition, and it's not because, any, because of anything I've done or failed to do, it's like, ah, ah, it's too good to be true. Can I really trust that? But let's see what this looks like in the text. And I said we were in 2 Samuel. Uh, why can't I find 2 Samuel this morning? 2 Samuel chapter number 9. Why can't I find 2 Samuel? Probably need to sing the song in my head. No, I'm joking. Here it is. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Ha! I had my little bookmark there already. <laughs> All right, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Beginning at verse 1. Uh, some of you may be familiar with the story, but this is a story of somewhat of an obscure character named Mephibosheth. And this story helps us appreciate and understand in very real terms what the favor of God looks like. So the narrative picks up in verse number 1. It says, Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? May not seem like a big deal, but I've got to give you some context. Because the story mentions two people. Well, I'm sorry. That, that verse mentions three people. It mentions the house of Saul. It mentions Jonathan. But David is the one asking the question. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Why? For Jonathan's sake. In order to understand what's happening here, you have to realize that at this point, Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead. Now Saul is the king who David succeeded. Saul 
was the people's choice, but David was God's anointed. And that's why I always say be careful who you allow to crown you. Because who you allow to crown you, you will owe your allegiance to. So because Saul was the people's choice, he always tried to please the people. And because of that, the kingdom was stripped away from him. Let that be a word of caution to all the people pleasers in the house. But David was God's anointed. And when Saul realized that David was God's anointed, even though David had served Saul faithfully, Saul tried to kill him. So now David is on the run, and he has an opportunity to even kill Saul. And everybody in David's camp is like, man, that dude been trying to kill you. You've been on the run. Here's your opportunity. And most of us would have taken it. He said, oh, man, this is the favor of God. Let me take out my enemy. And notice what David said. He said, I will not touch God's anointed. Now, let me tell you, there's two reasons why David, this is Bible class now. There's two reasons why David didn't touch Saul. The first reason was David's honor for authority. Something that is missing in our world today. But let me tell you the second reason David didn't touch Saul. The second reason David didn't touch Saul, even when he had an opportunity to take out the person who was trying to kill him, was because of his covenant with Jonathan. Yeah. You know that David had struck a covenant with Jonathan? And you know what covenant meant? Your enemies become my enemies. Your friends become my friends. And because David was in covenant with Jonathan, he could not, could not touch Jonathan's daddy even though Jonathan's daddy was trying to kill him. That is the power of covenant. Most of us live by contract. We don't even understand covenant. You know what contract does? Your contract protects all your assets and minimizes your liabilities. In covenant, you assume all the liabilities of the person you're entering into contract with. And when David and Jonathan cut covenant, I want you to see what this friendship looked like, and then I'm going to finish the story. I promise you. Israel is now a monarchy. Saul is the king. Who's the rightful heir? Jonathan, his son. Jonathan, his son. But in order for God's purpose to be fulfilled, Jonathan has to willingly step aside so David can become what God has ordained for him to become. This is the, the level of friendship and covenant that these two men have. And Jonathan says, he takes his sword and he gives it to David. You know what that means? He was saying, I am powerless to harm you. I know you're going to be king instead of me. The kingship is rightfully mine. But I recognize what God is doing in this season and I abdicate the throne to you. And in order to prove that I will never hurt you and never harm you, here's my sword. The problem with most of us at what we call friendship is we shake hands like this with a sword behind our back the whole time. And just in case you trip, I will chop off that hand that you used to deceive me. Jonathan gave up his sword. And he was saying, I am powerless to harm you. But here's what he also did. He gave up his shield. 
and in giving up his shield, he was saying to David, I am defenseless against you. That means if you want to take that sword I just gave you and kill me, I have no protection. That is what covenant looks like. And so when David had an opportunity to kill Saul, he recognized his covenant with David. I'm with Jonathan. And he said, I can't touch this man because I'm in covenant with his son. It wasn't only about the fact that he was a, 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 an authority. What even transcended that was covenant. And so when we pick up the narrative in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 9, that's what David is talking about. Because Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead and David is saying, I have this covenant with Jonathan. Is there anybody left? Because Saul is dead, Jonathan is dead, but he said, man, because at this point, when they died, all of their family, all of their kindred, they all fled when David took the throne. Because that's human nature. That's human nature. They were threatened because they thought that David would retaliate for what their father had done to them. And so while they're all on the run, David is thinking, I've got a covenant with Jonathan. He's dead, but that covenant still matters to me. Somebody say favor. So he asks this question, and he says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness? Not for Saul's sake, <laughs> but for Jonathan's sake. And it says, and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God. Somebody say favor. It's the Hebrew word hesed, which means favor, which means loving kindness. Is there anybody? Is there, come on somebody, I'm talking about the free favors of God profusely abounding. It is the heart of God toward. It's like God saying, is there anybody that I could just bless today? That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 8, God, who is man that you are mindful of him? God is mindful of you, and God wants to pour out his favor on you in this season. He wants to show you his kindness. All right? In verse 3, then the king said, I'm sorry, uh, 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 second half of verse 3, and Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Ah. Uh, do I have time to work this a little bit? Ah, who is lame in his feet? Let's, let's, I got to read a little bit further. I don't want to get stuck there. Listen, Rick is going to come and we're going to wrap up this message in worship. It's going to bless, bless you uh, because it's going to seal this message in your hearts. Uh, and so the king said to him, where is he? Come on, favor will always locate you. I'm telling you, wherever you are, the favor of God is going to find you because goodness and mercy will what? Follow you all the days of my life. In fact, uh, 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 Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says these blessings will run after and overtake. Favor of God is going to find you wherever you are. 
David says, where is he? Where is he? Now realize that there are conversations happening about you, Rick, right now that you have no idea are happening. And there are good conversations. There are favorable conversations about your next level. Believe that. Right now, there are conversations happening in secret places concerning you, and you have no idea because all you can see is what you can see. But we're living in a season when the free favors of God profusely abound. And here's, here's Ziba saying, listen, listen, listen. Uh, Jonathan's got a son. He's got a son left. His name is Mephibosheth, and he's lame in his feet. Ah, royalty flowing through his veins, but broken. I don't know if there's anybody in this room today where your experience looks absolutely nothing like what you were promised. God, I know what your word says, but my life looks absolutely nothing like it. Is this a game, God? Are you playing around? What's this all about? So here's Mephibosheth, the grandson of King Saul, royalty flowing in his veins. And all he has to show for his life is a broken body. Can't even get around on his own. And it's not even any fault of his own. You know why he's lame in his legs? It's because his nurse mishandled him, dropped him when he was five years old. And he bears in his body the scars of being mishandled by someone who should have cared for him. I'm talking to somebody who's carrying scars, who's carrying wounds. That was no fault of your own. The people who should have cared for you, who should have nurtured you, dropped you. And for the rest of your life, you walk with a limp. On the inside of you, I'm royalty. I was created for so much more. I remember what it was like living in the palace with my grandfather and my father. And now I find myself lame. Not just lame, not just broken, but I'm lame and I'm broken in Lodabar. <sighs> He's living in Lodabar, and that word translated, that word translated means pastureless place. It means desert place. It means desolate place. And you're saying to yourself, I was born in the palace. How did I get here? How did I get here? And while Lodabar, I mean, while Mephibosheth is looking around Lodabar, and all he can see is destitution. All he can see is wilderness. There are conversations happening in the palace about him. And he has no idea that in one moment, everything, everything about his life is about to change forever. Because it may not be your turn, but God says it's your time. I'm going to move you from Lodabar, your pastureless place, into the palace. Can't nobody stop it. 
Can't nobody stop it because it's authorized by God himself. Somebody say fall into faith. The day of salvation when the free favors of God profusely abound. The free favors of God. And, and notice Mephibosheth isn't doing nothing to earn what he's about to receive. It is a promise that belongs to him because of his father's covenant with David. Listen to me. Make sure with all of us left of 2020 and 2021 that you're hooking up with the right people. That's all I'm going to say about that. So here we go. Y'all give me a few more minutes. I'm going to wrap it up. Y'all give me a few more minutes. I'm going to wrap it up. And so, 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 so he said, uh, uh, he says, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. There it is, in the pastureless place. Then King David sent, come on somebody, the favor of God is going to locate you. Then David sent uh, and brought him out. Somebody say sozo. That's deliverance. God is going to bring you out so he can bring you in. So he brought him out. Where am I? Verse 5. Brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of David, uh, son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face ah, and prostrated himself. Then David said to Mephibosheth, uh, and then David said, Mephibosheth? Come on, somebody. David's like, hold up. Is this Jonathan's son? Doc, you royalty. He sees Mephibosheth, man, and it's almost like something wrong with this picture. You don't look nothing like what I imagine. You're the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul. You're royalty but you've been living in rags. You're broken. You're broken. Isn't that how God feels about us, I think? Like, Ray, Jesse, what's going on, man? This is not covenant. There's something so much more that you've been missing out on. I have a covenant with your father, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth's response is, uh, here's your servant, here's your servant, here's your servant. Isn't that what we do? We come to God as servants when we should come to him as sons? Because we think that God's love and acceptance of us is based on our performance. Because that's what servants do, they perform. Servants serve. And God say, no, I want you to come as my son. As my daughter. Uh, 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 but it goes a little further. In verse 7, it says, So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. Notice what he's saying. You don't have to earn it. The promise belongs to you. And will restore to you, listen, all the land of Saul, your grandfather. 
and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Listen to me. As quickly as things went from good to bad, they can go from bad to good. Just as fast. We have more fear about things going from bad to good than we have faith that God can cause bad things to become good. And in one day, he said, I'm going to give you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you're going to eat at my table continually. You know why? You know why favor matters? One day of favor is worth a lifetime of labor. Just one day. Just one day of favor converge. In fact, you don't need everybody liking you. You just need the right person liking you. You don't need everybody liking you. You just need a, a David. That's what favor looks like. But notice his response. Verse 8. It says, then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant? That you should look upon such a dog, a dead dog as I. Man, listen, listen. I don't have time. I don't have time to finish this message, y'all. I'm going to let y'all go. Rick, why don't you come? Rick, why don't you come? Rick, why don't you come? Because next week, when we pick up this conversation about Mephibosheth, we're going to talk about the things that hinder us from simply receiving what God has promised. We're going to talk about that next week. Because God wants you to fall into favor. And he wants you to come as a son, not as a servant. And he wants you to come not on the basis of your own performance, but on the basis of the covenant that was cut on your behalf. What am I saying? Mephibosheth is about to be a beneficiary of something that Jonathan did. You and I are beneficiaries of what Jesus did. And because Jesus did it, we don't have to do it. All we do is receive what's been freely provided for us in our covenant with Jesus. Thank you, Father. Listen, we're going to worship on this, and then I'm going to come, and then we're going to close out what we're going to do. Uh, several months ago, I met, and you can start playing, uh, Rick. Several months ago, we met Rick and Yessi. Uh, we were exclusively, we were just doing uh, online uh, services at the time. And Rick uh, was one of the worship leaders that was a guest worship leader with us. And uh, Rick came and recorded uh, one worship set with us, he and Yessi, and did a fantastic job for us. There was another young man, uh, Chad, uh, who was also a guest worship leader with us, but he's the worship pastor at another church. And uh, man, uh, over uh, several weeks, uh, got to know Rick and Yessi. And uh, and we started having conversations about what it would look like to resume in-person services. Well, if you remember, when we closed out, we closed out one of our series, and I did a message called The Heart of Worship. And I jumped on my acoustic bass, and uh, Chad was on his acoustic guitar, and Rick was on his acoustic guitar as well. And he shared this song. We played it. It's a song that he wrote. And listen, listen, Rick will never say it because he's modest and unassuming. But one of the things I do know is that God really loves Converge Church. Listen, last Wednesday, I was, I was on Instagram TV, 
And every Wednesday, Israel Holton does uh, Worship Wednesday. And so I'm sitting there, man, and I hear his team just belting out this song. And the power of God is on it so powerfully. But the song that we did that day, Rick and I and Chad, Rick, Chad, and I did that day for a heart of worship as we close out the sermon series, is a song that Rick co-wrote with Israel. And, uh, I mean, Rick and his family were very modest and unassuming, but Rick has cut uh, worship CDs, major projects, has co-written with Israel. Ricardo Sanchez, Ricardo said, uh, you know the song, Moving Forward, I'm Not Going Back? Rick co-written with Ricardo and B.J. Putnam, if you like B.J., and of all the places, listen to me, of all the places that Rick and yes, he could have landed, God saw it fit for them to land here at Converge and call it home. The reason I wanted him to share this song is because I believe it will minister life to us as we understand what it means to receive the promise. Not because of anything we've done, but simply because, simply because, we're accepted by God. Rick. And I am a at the table. I know who I am. I know who I am. And I have a seat at the table. I know who I am. I know who I am. I am loved by you. I'm loved by you, I am loved by you, and I am accepted, I am accepted, oh, and I have a hope and a future, I know who Accepted in your love, God. 
have a seat at the table. I know who I am. I know who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Rick, why don't you stay there? And uh, that's the truth this morning, Converge Nation. You are accepted. And not only are you accepted, you have a seat at the table. Just like in one moment, just one moment, God pursues, David pursues Mephibosheth, brings him out of a pastureless place, and gives him a seat at his table continually. I want to pray for our church this morning. That this will be more than just a catchy phrase, fall into favor. That it will be so much more than just a sermon series. But that we would so posture ourselves that we would actually receive the promise. The promise of God's favor. This divine assigned advantage for success. So that you and I win. That we win in every area of our lives. Here's what's cool about that song. It's going to be on Israel's upcoming worship CD. And so you and I got to hear it first. But also, also, we get to receive what God is saying through the song that you are accepted. Father, I thank you for what you have spoken to us this morning. It's already mine. You say that I'm accepted. And because we are, help us to freely receive what has been freely given. And that is your favor. Father, as we leave this place, we leave with great expectation. That doors that were once closed will swing wide open because there is an open heaven over our lives. And we walk in the free favors of God that profusely abound because of what you did on the cross for us. We receive it now by faith in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you've never crossed the line of faith, maybe you've heard about this Jesus, but you've never invited him and you've never made this thing personal with Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. Today we want to give you an opportunity because Jesus offers you too a seat at his table by grace through faith in his son Jesus. If that's you with every head bowed, with every eye closed, we just want you to slip up your hand right where you are. You've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you say, this is my moment with God. My moment of favor. We want you to slip up your hand, and we want to pray for you. All right. Well, the good news is we have a room full of people who are accepted, who have a seat at the table. Thank you, Lord for all that you've spoken this morning. Seal it in our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Did that help anybody this morning? Come on. 
We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Remember to stay connected with us on our website, weareconverge.com, or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WeAreConverge. You can also partner with us financially by giving safely and securely online at weareconverge.com backslash give. Thank you and God bless.